On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. You're listening to Tall Can Audio, Canada's number one craft beer-fueled sports show. I will give you a show like you have never, ever seen before. Why? Because I can. Here's your host. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Matt Robinson. Coming to you from our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada, it is Matt Robinson with you, episode 899. Hope you're all having a great week so far. You can almost certainly hear it in my voice, I'm not having such a great week so far. Come up a little ill, but uh, we're battling through, getting a little show out the door for you here. Uh, riding solo today, so uh, we'll keep this one short. Just a couple of odds and ends to catch up on. Uh, some things that I didn't think were going to be big enough or worth holding on to for Sunday's recording, but that I did want to sort of comment on uh, along the way. We had sort of gotten into the habit of uh, of doing a Thursday morning show. That's been going on for a while. Uh, Michaela had handled that for the last several months, uh, of course, before taking a bit of a step back for now from TCA. Uh, Ian Mendez has been in here to do it. Maddie Lang's been on to do it. Amy Burke was in here to do it last week. Uh, so just me today. Um, but we do have another show coming at you later on this week on Friday morning. Episode 900 will be uh, Graham Creech and Steve Bunda from TSN 1200 here to talk UFC 268 which is going down on Saturday night from Madison Square Garden in New York City. So we'll talk all about that with those guys um, later on this week. Like I said, that'll come out Friday morning. So make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening right now. Uh, Before we hit up anything else, uh, I thought about passing it up and not going ahead with it because I haven't been feeling that well. And, uh, you know, just because sitting around having a pint by yourself sometimes isn't all that much fun. But uh, I also sort of figured, you know what? Maybe I've earned this a little bit, right? Um it's been uh, it's been a rough week as I've been battling through here, so thought I might reward myself. It is stout season. The temperature has dropped. Uh, I've been saying it for a few weeks now, maybe a little bit longer than that, but uh, it was really more of a, a turn of the calendar thing that said it was stout season. It took a long time for it to actually start to feel like stout season, and we are certainly there now. I know parts of uh, parts of Ontario had uh, snow when they woke up on Wednesday morning here, so. Uh, I'm going to take advantage. This is the Easy Stout from the Walkerville Brewery down in uh, down in Windsor, Ontario, I believe. And uh, that's nice. They say, like I said, it's an Easy Stout. They call it a decadent and delicious year-round stout. Um, definitely some notes of chocolate there towards the end. A little bit of espresso to it. Uh, pretty nice, guys. It's uh, a little sweet. Um, but you know I'm all about that sometimes um, as we roam through the uh, the winter and hit into uh, a bunch of these stouts. Uh, I don't mind trying some of the stuff that gets a little bit sweeter. So enjoying this one off the hop, but I will say almost no doubt here that uh, almost no doubt that my taste buds are a little bit compromised at the moment, but uh, I got nothing but good things to say about this one uh, as we start the show here. Uh, I believe I've had this one before actually. Um, Went down in uh, the summer of 2019. Uh, I referenced Amy Burke there a minute ago, who was in last week to host uh, episode 896. If you want to go back and check that out, it's at tallcanaudio.com or wherever you're listening right now. Um, She was in last week, but I think in 2019, uh, I tried this one as we were headed towards the border. 
um, I was going to go down to Indiana where uh, she was competing in a, uh, a qualifying tournament for this uh, Tokyo 2020 competition that she just finished up. And uh, very rarely are these competitions this close to home. That one was obviously within driving distance, so um, decided to head down and watch. So that involved, of course, before crossing into the States, making sure we had at least a few good beers uh, to take with us across the border. So hit up the LCBO, and I, I'm pretty sure um, the first night that we stopped just on the other side of the border, drove from uh, from central Ontario down and uh, crossed over near Sarnia and, um, you know, stopped just on the other side of the border and, and carried on the next day. I'm pretty sure I recall that first night in the U.S. trying this one as something that, uh, that we had bought and uh, brought across the border. I'm not sure what the legalities of that all are, but uh, they made it across the border, no problem. So I think... This is when I, uh, I tried that one, was on the way down to watch her compete. Uh, like I said, if you, it, she was on last week for episode 896, and I thought it was really interesting um, to get her take on what happened in Tokyo. She referenced the injury that she went through and uh, being her team's best player, what that did to her team's chances of contending. Obviously, uh, it didn't go well. They didn't get into the playoffs, and, and she missed most of it. And I've talked to Amy several times uh, since the tournament, obviously, but just the way things go, you know, that was one of the first chances I've had to go really in depth with her on, uh, on some of these things. So, um, I knew what the injury was. We had talked throughout the tournament and, um, she had just asked me to keep it to myself, which, you know, is fair enough. Um, but to just hear her talk about, you know, feeling like she'd wasted five years of her life and, and things like that, like she said here on the show last week. So, uh, if you're interested in how some of these things can go wrong, we always hear these really inspirational and motivational stories about our athletes. Um, this is one, an athlete who worked very hard for a very long time, and sometimes shit just goes off the rails for you at the wrong time. And so um, that was interesting to get, uh, you know, just her feelings on how all that went down. I uh, talked about lots of other stuff with her too, but uh, towards the end there, yeah, we talked about her journey to Tokyo and, and how it kind of all fell apart. So that's episode 896 at Uh Last thing on Amy, like I said, you can hear in my voice, I'm not feeling so great. And uh, when she was in here for that episode, she kind of made a, a, a joke or threw a shot or uh, a bit of an elbow at me saying, you know, the world must really be finally starting to get back to normal uh, if Matt's starting to let people back in here, which... Which is fair enough, as uh, we have had a couple of in-studio guests here recently, and um, like I said, including Graham Creech and Steve Bunda, who uh, will drop their episode Friday morning, like I said, talking UFC. Uh, Ian Mendez has been in, Amy was in, um, and she was kind of giving me shit for, you know, just being overly cautious maybe, and uh, you know, I don't think she really meant much by it. But here I sit a week later, sick. I don't think I got sick once in the whole calendar year that we were all locked down. Um, you know, whether it being schools closed or riding public transit or people at work, you know, crowded concert or sports arenas, whatever it might be. I can remember seeing some ridiculous numbers and I think it was out of Alberta that, you know, out of normally like 6 million, I don't want to exaggerate, but it was something ridiculous out of maybe it was, maybe it was 600,000 cases typically of the common cold. They were down to like 30,000, um, you know, just Everybody wearing masks, everybody being cautious, everybody keeping their distance, most people staying home. Uh, it puts the common cold right in the ditch. Well, I've, you know, the studio's been open for like, what, four guests now? Um, and plus, I, I, I will say, I saw Amy's kids, which leads me to believe that's where this has come from. But uh, yeah, opening the world back up, and here we are, sick as a dog again. Um, it was right down on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, here we sit Wednesday afternoon trying to get a show put together and wanting to do something for you guys. So hopefully the voice isn't too bad. Hopefully it holds up. Um, if I'm too nasally, if I'm too irritating, I'm sure you'll take off, but, uh, you know, we'll be back at it here soon enough, but, uh, on the mend here. So thought we would try and get something out the door. Uh, we have our Instagram account back. Like I said, a lot of odds and ends on this show, things to just kind of get through and, and kind of let you guys in on. Um, I guess it was last Tuesday, maybe the 26th or the 25th, uh, woke up in the morning and, um, went to check our Instagram and, uh, said I couldn't. And all it said was your account has been disabled and no reason why, no, you know, did we break some sort of policy? Did we post something we shouldn't have posted something copyrighted? Um, nothing. 
Um, and so you don't know what to do. Like, okay, can I get it back? Um, do I need to take down the post, which wasn't even an option anyway, we couldn't access anything. Uh, it's all it said was your account has been disabled. Like, all right. And at the time, look, I'll be honest with you guys. And I think I've said it before on the show. I don't love Instagram. It's, I'm more of a, a Twitter guy. We have Instagram because that's where a lot of people hang out. It, it's, it's a very popular platform. And so I don't put a ton of effort into it. We post the pictures of our beers there. Um, we promote what the next episodes are going to be guests that we have coming in. And if there's other interesting things along the way, we'll throw it up there. But essentially it's a, it's a way for our listeners to stay in touch with the show. Um, if there's beers they want to check out for themselves and just see what's coming up or, or what we've done recently, but I don't love it. And so when it went down, I was annoyed because I had put all this time into this thing that I don't like. And we had built up, I don't know how many people we had over there. It wasn't a huge following by any means, maybe 12 or 1500 people, something like that. Um, which not bad for a, a show that has started this way and being run by a, a guy, the account being run by a guy who hates it. Um, you're, you're annoyed that you've put all this work into it and it's just gone. Um, at the same time, I'm sort of like, all right, like I wasn't going to miss it. I certainly wasn't going to start over. I wasn't going to rebuild it. I wasn't going to put that much effort in again to trying to, to find all our listeners and all these potential future listeners, um, and, and lure them back. It's hard enough to do once to get it to happen again was just, I just sort of shrugged my shoulders and I said, you know, I'll do what I can. I'll go through the, the help center or whatever to see if I can get this back. But if they say no, that's it. I'm, I'm not doing it again. We'll be a, basically a Twitter only, uh, show on social media. And that was going to be the end of it. So I go like wading into the help center or the recovery center or whatever you want to call it. And I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. They, the first thing they do is ask you, you know, what type of content or what, what's the reason that your account got disabled. And I'm like, motherfucker, you didn't even tell me. Like, I have no idea why we're down right now. There was nowhere to scroll. There was nowhere to learn more. There was no nothing. Just your account is disabled. Hit okay. And if you hit okay, uh, it logs you out and then gives you a chance, you know, put in your username here and see if, you know, if you want to, you know, receive help or try and get it back or whatever. So it takes you to this list of like, did you post copyrighted content? Did you break terms and services? Did you like, I have no fucking idea. So I click on whichever one I just trying to get to the next step, or maybe I'll get to talk to somebody. And even that seems pretty unlikely, right? That you're going to ever discuss this with somebody. It's this huge Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook conglomerate. You know, no one's going to call you up and cost, you know, walk you through what happened and how to get it back. You're just going to be punted through this whatever system. So I picked the one that I thought, you know, might get me the closest to exchanging information with somebody or whatever. And the next step is please post here the content that got you removed. I'm like, I don't know what that is. So I back out, try another one, saying that please post here the content that got you. So essentially they're counting on you know, if you have done something bad or posted something you shouldn't have, they want you to show them what it is and then they'll decide again. Whereas like you'd be better off to just post a picture of your dog or something and then hope for the best of the, oh no, that's fine and carry on. Like they're asking you to show them the crime you've committed, which just seemed ridiculous to me. So there was some button near the bottom that just said, uh, none of this applies or whatever, none of the above, something like that. And so then you just get punted out. It says, it sends you a little email that says, we have put you in the queue for support or, uh, uh, to have your case, um, examined. I'm like, I'm never going to hear from these guys again. So that was it. I think that was on Tuesday of last week and, uh, got the little confirmation email that said, whatever. I did a couple quick searches on it. Tons of horror stories saying, yeah, you never hear back. So I was basically moving forward under the assumption that our Instagram was just gone and, and that was going to be the end of it. On Monday morning of this week, I wake up, I have an email from Instagram that says, uh, your account has been reinstated. Uh, the offending post has been removed. I'm like, okay, cool. 
it doesn't tell me what that post was. And now I have to go back and remember, I don't know, we have a few hundred posts on the thing. So I go and take a quick scroll to see if there's anything that stands out to me that's missing, right? Like, but now you're trying to remember from a week or two or three weeks ago, like what you posted that isn't there now. And like I said, most of them are just beers and stuff. So I have no idea still to this day what we posted. It, there was nothing that jumped out at me because it's not like a post that you see and go, oh, that's the one that God has punted. It's gone. So you're scrolling, looking for something that isn't there to see if that might jog your memory, but there's nothing there to actually jog your memory. So, um, no idea what happened. No idea why they gave it back. It all felt fairly arbitrary, but, uh, if you're an Instagram person and you want to interact with us there, um, I guess we're back at tall can audio on Instagram, uh, at tall can audio on Twitter as well. Uh, if you want to follow along there, uh, that's our story on, uh, I have no idea what happened, but uh, apologies if you've been looking for us on there. Um, it's in all of our, that was the other drag, right? Is it's in all our promos. It's in all our intros and outros, uh, the voice clips that we have. Um, it, you know, how many, we have, uh, 899 episodes of this podcast up. Most of them say right in them, either by me or by the, the voice clips on the intro or outro, find us on Twitter and Instagram at tall can audio people go back and find those old episodes and enjoy them. And then they go and look for you on tall can audio. Cause they haven't listened to the most recent one that says, yeah, forget that it's gone. Um, you know, those are, those are people who may want to grab onto the show in different places that you're just losing. So it was really frustrating because there's no way to go back and just, you know, you can say it in your future episodes, but there's no way to go back through 199 episodes of the show and erase that part. And, you know, without actually doing it episode by episode. And I can tell you people, I wasn't going to be doing that either. So it was a major hassle and uh, we're glad that it's back up and running. So a couple little things out of the sports world here, I guess we'll touch on. Why don't we start with baseball just because, um, you know, on Tuesday night we had a world series champion crowned, uh, Atlanta Braves take down the Houston Astros, uh, I've tried a few times to frame one or the other as the villain. You've kind of got the fan base with the the racist chant and gesture going against the the cheaters uh, in the Houston Astros there. So in that regard, no moral high ground to be had. Maybe that's the way it should be in sports. Um, both of these had uh, both of these organizations had things that kind of suck. Um, so you can kind of just pit them against each other, and and nobody's watching from some moral high ground. Like I said, it's it's just two teams from flawed organizations with flawed people going at it. And really that's what most sports are. Most games are so, uh, but it was cool to see the Braves win just in the sense that, you know, I'm a bit of an Alex Anthopoulos guy and he's general manager down there for the, uh, the Atlanta Braves and they have won the division four straight years since he arrived. And he left Toronto in sort of odd circumstances, right? He, In 2015, the Toronto Blue Jays are right around 500 at the trade deadline, but they have a bunch of talent and they feel like they should be better. And he goes for it. He goes out and he gets David Price and Latroy Hawkins and Troy Tulowitzki and really like upgrades the bullpen, upgrades the rotation and upgrades the lineup and their defense as well as, uh, as Reyes was not getting it done for them there at shortstops. You bring in a guy like Tulo and he never regained the form ever again that he had uh, in Denver, whether it was in Toronto or after he moved on to other places. But, you know, he he was much better than what they were getting from Reyes. So it was a, a hell of a gamble because you're sitting there at 500, and I don't know if Alex felt like his job was on the line. Like, I'd better try and take a run at this this year because he had had another opportunity a year or two earlier. Uh, and you'll remember the big moves with the Marlins and the Mets where he goes out and he brings in R.A. Dickey and he brings in Josh Johnson and Emilio Bonifacio and Mike, uh, Mark Burley. And like this franchise altering set of moves, that's also the Milky Cabrera um, off season. And it just, it never really worked, right? None of it, it just sort of fell apart. Josh Johnson needed surgery. Mark Burley ended up being fine as did R.A. Dick, but it didn't turn the team into this contender. And so here he is in 2015. I don't know if he feels like his job is on the line or not, but he decides I'm going for it. And he goes out and he makes all these moves and it ends up panning out. They get unbelievably hot. They make the playoffs. They end up winning the division series against Texas. Everyone remembers Jose Bautista and the the bat flip game 
Uh, they go on to face the Royals in the uh, ALCS, and they come up short. But he immediately turns around his legacy from this just another GM who, you know, was kind of watching over the mediocre Blue Jays, and they never really got over the hump. Um, but at the time that this is all going on and the season's coming to an end, they have already made it clear that they're getting rid of president Paul Beeston and they're bringing in Mark Shapiro and Anthopolis is going to have a new boss and whether he was willing to deal with that, he was always very close with Paul Beeston uh, and he decides he's going to move on and he's not going to stay in Toronto. And it, 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 a lot of people remember Alex with rose-colored glasses now, and especially now that he's gone on and won a championship, and a lot of people want to cling to, you know, the Canadian thing and the Blue Jays thing, and 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 power to you. Like I'm, I'm glad the guy's getting some credit. Um, but there were a lot of people at the time who didn't love what he had done because in order to go and get David Price, who was only there for a couple of months, right? He wasn't there long term. Um, and he gave up a lot of futures and you know, the, the guys that took over afterwards in Adkins and Shapiro sort of said, like, we got stripped down here a little bit. They traded a lot of young pieces, a lot of prospects away to take this run at it. And that was true. And so there were a lot of people that weren't really ready to give Alex Anthopoulos a ton of credit. Yeah. You went out, you got the guys you needed to get into the playoffs. But not only did you strip down the farm system, it didn't lead to a championship, right? So he leaves in sort of a lot of people like me who absolutely love him. A lot of people, I don't think most people really hated him, but a lot of people kind of going, ah, you know, you're just a guy, right? It, there was not a lot there um, in terms of legacy or or whatever. So kind of a mixed bag when he leaves town. He goes on and he becomes a, an advisor briefly for the Dodgers before taking over the general manager's job down in Atlanta. And he, as I said, for the last four years since he's been there, they've won their division and they've had some really nice young pieces. I don't need to run off all the names for you. If you're a baseball fan, you know, the things that, that were already in the pipeline and the young pieces that have come along, but he's also been okay to tinker and he, he's, um, whether it be in the off season or he's remained aggressive during the season, like he was in Toronto, like he was in that 2015 run when he went out and got all those pieces that they need. And I'll get to that in a second, but even look at tinkering, right? He has this relationship with Josh Donaldson from his days in Toronto. Donaldson had left Toronto with a pile of injuries, people saying he couldn't do it anymore. And it's Alex Anthopoulos that reaches out to him the next off season and says, come down here, come to Atlanta. You can play third base every day. Like a lot of people were wanting to see him moved off to become a DH or whatever. People sort of forget how low Things had gotten for Josh Donaldson. He said, come down here. You can be an everyday third baseman. You can get your, your game back. Um, it was a low-risk contract. wasn't long-term. wasn't big money. You can show everybody you can still do this, and then either we'll do something long-term here, or you'll have rebuilt your value to a point where you can carry on somewhere else. And that's exactly what happens. Josh Donaldson goes on to have a great season down in Atlanta, and it sets him up to go and sign that deal in Minnesota that he's still dealing with now. And... um. He ends up coming back to Toronto this year. I don't remember. I don't think this is the first time, but it's one of the first times he was back in Toronto um, since leaving because um, last year, of course, was uh, no fans and, and Blue Jays played down in Buffalo, right? So he wasn't back then. And you played only in your division uh, the year before that. Um, I don't remember whether he'd already moved on or not, but he would have been in the NL East if he was in Atlanta, right? So... If he's been back, he hasn't been back much. And this year when he comes back, there's sort of this love in and he's willing to talk to the media and, you know, he's speaking to the fans and, you know, just sort of everybody embracing him again. But he left under some bitter terms. And Alex Anthopoulos was one of those guys that still had faith in him and said, come down to Atlanta, we'll rebuild you here. So that was an interesting sort of turnaround. As for remaining aggressive in season, you don't have to look any further than the major award winners. Um from this year's uh, playoff series is like Atlanta had some serious injuries right off the hop um, that put them under the gun. Anthopolis still believed in the team he had there with the Braves. And over the course of the summer, he ends up adding like four outfielders. But you look at the NL, uh, the NLCS MVP in uh, left fielder, Eddie Rosario and the world series MVP in Jorge Solar. Both of those guys are picked up in season 
and they end up paying off to the point where they're winning MVPs for your playoff series. Like, those are the sorts of moves that not every GM will make. Some guys will see major injuries and just go, well, I guess this isn't our year, and you go find, like, a patchwork guy to just sort of play, but, you know, you're not really going anywhere. And others will you know, swing and miss or whatever. But here's Alex Anthopoulos. He believes in his team, despite all these injuries, goes out and adds Rosario, adds Soler, and they win NLCS MVP and World Series MVP, respectively. That's what being aggressive gets you. It's not going to pay off every time, but when it does, it pays off big. And it's all because he has this belief in the teams that he's built. And it's nice to see him. Obviously, the Canadian thing is nice. You know, he's the first ever Canadian general manager to win a World Series. The Blue Jays tie in, you know, for those of us who still really like Alex, that's really cool, right? Like, it, all of that stuff is nice. But I like to see GMs get rewarded when they're aggressive, right? I, I like that style of sports, right? Where y- you build this team, you believe in this team, and you go, okay, I just had a major piece go down. I'm going to replace it right now because I still think we're good enough. We're seeing way too much, especially in baseball, but across sports, the, the, the analytics things that go into it, the money that goes into it, everybody's very cautious. And if you don't believe that you're like a shoe in to make like the final four teams, just don't go for it. Well, he still does. He sees his major piece get hurt. Well, then I got to go out and fix it. I got to make, I got to replace that and we'll still take a run. That's what I like to see out of a guy like Alex Anthopoulos. And that's why I think I was so. Um, like I said, even in Toronto before that 2015 team that clicked and they made the playoffs again in 2016 with major, major parts of his roster, but he was gone by then, but he took that earlier swing in 2013 or 2014, whatever it was with the Marlins and the Mets. He thought, you know, I can make this happen. This can work. Right. And it just, it didn't that time, but it didn't kill his enthusiasm. It didn't kill his, um, his willingness to just try and make something happen here for these teams. And, and here it is, you know, and that it almost worked in 2015. The Blue Jays got unbelievably hot down the stretch, uh, beat out Texas, had a hell of a series against the end, uh, eventual champions in Kansas City, but fell short. Well, this time it didn't. After four years of, of winning the division and being competitive, being contenders, he, he doesn't allow this season to get away. He goes out and makes the moves that he needs to make to keep that team right where it needs to be, and they roar, reward him this year with a championship. So a tip of the cap, a cheers to, uh, to Alex Anthopoulos and the Atlanta Braves. Congratulations to the first ever Canadian general manager to win a World Series. Huh. It's getting warm. One of the problems with doing this show on your own is normally, you know, you say what you got to say, you back off, let somebody respond, you take a sip of your beer while they're doing it. It's just me, me sitting here rambling away. I don't get to, uh, to really taste as much of this as, uh, as I'd like, and it's sitting here getting warm on me. Uh, pretty nice, though. Um, they say, like I said, uh, decadent and delicious year-round. I'm getting that. It is a little bit rich, but uh, they say it's a milk stout, but, you're, you know, not bad, guys. Look, let's talk a little bit about the NHL. I know you're getting bombarded with, uh, with stuff on the Kyle Beach story. It has been the biggest story, uh, in hockey for, a, uh, you know, a little while now. I don't want to relitigate everything we already did. Rob and I talked about this on Sunday, uh, and that came out for you on Monday morning. That was episode 898. If you want to go back and check that out for yourself, uh, by all means, it's talkanaudio.com or wherever you're listening to this. The one thing or two things I guess we've seen since then was Gary Bettman's media availability on Monday and uh, Kevin Sheveldayoff and Mark Chipman of the Winnipeg Jets have their availability on Tuesday. Let's start with Monday because to me that was the far more damning um, look. A lot of people are trying to let Gary Bettman and Bill Daly the commissioner and deputy commissioner of the NHL off the hook for how this went based on the fact that they're lawyers. And what we heard was a lot of legal speak. And I expected that they're in litigation. Um, they don't know yet if they're going to be found complicit. There's still a lot of ways this can go. So they need to be careful what they say. I legitimately understand that. That being said, My biggest beef with Gary Bettman 
for years now is that he thinks his customer is stupid. He is condescending to the fans. He is condescending to the media that is meant to be his conduit to those fans. And he just looks down his nose at everyone around him. And if he doesn't, then he needs to stop talking. If that's not how he feels, then he badly needs some PR training on how to speak to the media and how to speak to the fans. And we're 30 years into him as commissioner. If he hasn't done it yet, he's not going to do it. So I understand that there was going to be a lot of legal speak when these guys came out and spoke to the media. But at least at the beginning, he was going to give an apology. He was going to address Kevin Beach even though he'd already spoken to him privately on Saturday. And I still found myself going, you sneering, condescending piece of shit. There was not one ounce of empathy or sympathy or goddamn humanity in anything Gary Bettman said to anybody. He's just a lawyer reading a pre-prepared speech making sure he doesn't accidentally press any red buttons. For once in your life, could you pretend to be a human instead of the world's most hated automaton? Maybe not the world, the hockey world, certainly. It was awful. And it got worse throughout. People brought up Sheldon Kennedy and whether the league had considered, you know, working with him and, and Gary has the audacity to say, well, his situation was not in the NHL, so we have no responsibility there. Somebody asks him, you know, would you be willing to, you know, reach out to the 16 year old kid that Brad Aldridge went on to abuse? And he says, well, I'd need more information to see if we need to get involved in that. You need more information? He went to jail for it. What is it that you're going to find out that the legal system didn't? It was just one awful step after another. And I'm fucking sick of this guy. We're hearing all sorts of things about whether or not the PA may replace um, Donald Fear. And fair enough. If they need to investigate and, and the players need to find out what he knew why that wasn't handled properly either. But there's been real conversation that if they find out something that they don't like, that they'll boot him out and replace him. Not a word on whether Gary Bettman may need to be replaced over this. Not a word as to whether or not the league needs to be investigating further. Investigated further, excuse me, not investigating. I don't trust them any further than I could throw them. And it just was one vile piece of garbage after another. Not a piece of humanity. It was pointed out brilliantly on Twitter by somebody that this is how you say I'm sorry without apologizing. The word sorry was in there. This was not an apology. It seemed like Gary couldn't wait to wipe this off the bottom of his foot. So we get halfway through this, more than halfway through this, and I'm starting to notice, a lot of people are starting to notice that Rick Westhead, who is the guy who has done the lion's share of the reporting on this, his name's been used a lot. He's worked for CTV as an actual investigative reporter, but of course does a lot of stuff for sports for, for TSN. He was the one doing a ton of the heavy lifting along um, this, along with Katie Strang, along with uh, Mark Lazarus. Scott Powers, these are the guys that are doing this. But the NHL already doesn't like Rick Westhead because Rick Westhead has been chasing them around on the concussion front that Gary also says is not a factor, it's not tied to hockey, which is just a sack of crap too. We're 47 minutes into this press conference. 28 questions have been asked by 24 different reporters and Rick Westhead has not been called upon. Why not? Well, we don't like uh, Rick very much. There's video floating around of other times where Rick has tried to ask Gary something and Gary's trying to blow him off and this is not the time, Rick, and we don't want... This is the time now, Gary. 
So why are your people not calling on the guy who led this investigation, the guy who shone a light on this, the guy that Kyle Beach trusted with his name and his story and to help get through this? You won't even acknowledge that he's there trying to ask a question. 47 minutes into a 58 minute conversation or a press conference, excuse me. Like I said, 28 questions from 24 reporters. You heard that correctly. That means they are now circling back and asking some reporters their second question before getting to Rick Westhead, before Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic and TSN um, gets called on for his second time. And he says, I hope you're planning to ask my colleague Rick Westhead if he has any questions. Now they're shamed into do it. It's public. Lots of people online have already noticed, clearly other press members who are at this press conference or this press Zoom, whatever you want to call it, have noticed. And good for Pierre Lebrun for shaming them into it. Because clearly they weren't going to do it themselves. Now they've been called out. Now the attention has been pointed. And in public, in a real press conference, this wouldn't have happened. You'd be able to see who's there, who's trying to ask a question and other reporters would be able to, you know, make this public in zoom. You don't all get to speak at the same time, right? They call on you. They turn on your ability to speak. You unmute yourself and off you go. If they never click on Rick Westhead's name, you'd never know he was there. Just garbage. Why are you trying to, and again, now you've made it worse. You look like you're trying to hide something. You look like you're being vindictive and punishing the reporter for pointing the story at this instead of punishing the goddamn people who committed the crime. This league has no idea at all how modern society works. They run their little thiefdoms and they think that that's okay and we just won't notice. I can tell you just on my own Twitter timeline, there were dozens of people who noticed Hey, why isn't Rick Westhead asking a question? Do you think they truly believe Rick Westhead had no questions? Or did they pretty quickly get figured out that he was being censored out of the conversation? Just bullshit. I don't get this league. They think they can just bury this stuff and kick it under the rug and nobody will notice. And I told you, the way Gary speaks to the media, the way Gary speaks to the fans... It looks down his fucking nose and just sneers at you and condescends to you that you couldn't possibly understand what we're doing here at the league. Fuck off. You have a smart fan base who knows exactly what's happening and sees right through you. And to think for even a second they thought they could get away with this and no one would notice shows you what, how little they think of, of the media that covers their sport and the fans that watch it. Everybody noticed, everybody thought it was shit, and now you look even worse by trying to pass that through. I swear, I've said it a hundred times on this show, hockey's my favorite sport and the NHL is a garbage league. It sucks that they're so intertwined. Got a little fired up there. This is normally where uh, Rob would jump in and, and take us somewhere else or lighten the mood a little bit. Unfortunately, he's not here right now. We've been talking today. Uh, we mentioned on the last show that he was hoping to get back in studio on Sunday. That is still the plan. But uh, I said I'd sort of keep him in the loop on uh, how I'm feeling today and tomorrow and he may not want to come in here if this is a uh, a contamination zone or uh, we're pretty sure it's just sinuses, just head cold, um, whatever. But uh, even that, why would you really want to expose yourself to it? But it was one of the things I said to him uh, when I emailed him about this was, you know, in the before times, I would absolutely not have thought on a Wednesday, hey, you should email the person that you're supposed to see on Sunday and just tell them you have a cold, like as a heads up. That would not have crossed my mind. Now you owe that to people. Like, I don't know what the new rules are. I don't know what our new societal norms and acceptances are. Right. Yeah. But I felt like you should let this guy know I'm like 98% sure it's not COVID and I'm already feeling a little better than I have the last two days. 
but you let somebody know, right? Like before they just come walking in and hear that you're all stuffed up. It's amazing to think, you know, how many times you can think back of you're just standing at line in line at, uh, at the grocery store and the person ahead of you, you can hear sniffling or, you know, whatever it might be, you get together with your friends and like two out of six or eight people have colds and we all just sat around in it and didn't think twice about it. And I guess we'll get back to that. I, I don't know now what the, uh, the new norm is going to be, but I felt like I should let Rob know, Hey, a little under the weather here, just a heads up. We'll see how things look on Sunday, but that'll be ultimately up to him. Right. I, I'm already feeling better, whether or not I'm contagious or whatever at that point with the, the common cold, who knows? So, but it was interesting just to go, man, two years ago, I would not have sent this email. Like, uh, certainly not this far in advance, right? Certainly you might a day ahead or whatever and say, Hey, I'm sick. I don't know if we're going to be able to make it. This wasn't even so much about whether or not I'm going to be feeling up to doing the show. It was, Hey, you may not want to come in here. So, um, it is funny to see how quickly the world can change, uh, a little bit. Uh, why don't we touch just briefly here? Final thing on, uh, on the Toronto Maple Leafs and just this report that came out. Nick Kiprios reported uh, on the radio, I guess on Tuesday, that he had heard contract negotiations with uh, with Jack Campbell and the Toronto Maple Leafs had started. Um, that shouldn't be a big surprise to anybody. This is Jack Campbell's final year with the Leafs. Well, it may not be his final year with the Leafs. It's the final year of his per, this particular contract with the Leafs. Uh, and I believe he's making right around $1.5, $1.6 million. And that was uh, sort of the going rate for a decent backup goalie when they traded for him uh, from the Kings there back at the end of 2019. Um, Was it 2020? It was 2020. Um, They trade for him there in February along with Kyle Clifford. And uh, Clifford, of course, ends up leaving. But uh, Campbell, over the course of the last year or so, continues to show his you know, his, what he's got. And he'd sort of been run out of the league a little bit. He hadn't played well for a very long time, uh, was down in the American hockey league and sort of had to rebuild himself before becoming a backup for the Kings. Um, in 2020, Freddie is battling injuries. Hutch is around, but it's not going well. Uh, Kaskiswo gets thrown to the wolves one night in Pittsburgh. That doesn't go well. And, uh, before that game's over, uh, or basically Kyle is on the, uh, on the phone to the LA Kings trying to, to get Jack Campbell in here. So over the last, you know, whatever it's been 18 months that he's been a Toronto Maple Leaf, he's, he's gotten better and better. Um, he had taken the starters role from Freddie last year. Uh, they brought in Peter Morazic this year to sort of battle in more of a tandem and give Campbell some support. Campbell's also never played the number of games required of a true starter. So they were worried about his health and, you know, could he handle that kind of workload? So if you bring in Morazic, who's been a tandem guy before, as opposed to a straight starter or a backup, he's sort of more used to that role. He, you know, he can take some of the load for, for Jack. And if it turns out you're wrong about Campbell, you know, at least you have a better insulation plan here. Well, so far as we start another season, it doesn't look like they've been wrong about Jack Campbell. He's played very well again. And if that's the case, you can't blame them for wanting to start contract negotiations now. Maybe you can get in and get something done reasonably quickly at 2 or $3 million. Whereas if he goes on to have another great season, maybe it's 4 or 5 Now, maybe I'm being overly optimistic. There's a great chance. Like, it's the number's not going to start with 2, I don't think, right? I, I can't imagine he's staying for that little. But maybe you can get him for 3, 3.5 as opposed to maybe four and a half or five, if he shows himself to be a legit starter for another full season. Like if you've seen enough to believe it, you try and get that done before you show everybody else that it's real. Right. And that's sort of what I think has happened here. They want to get a jump on this, see if they can get a number cheap. One of the things that Kyle has been accused of and, and rightly so in a couple of cases is waiting too long. Right, Zach Hyman, if they had assigned him at the beginning of last season instead of the end where he's cutting like a 30-goal pace and these sorts of things, he just priced himself right out of your um, out of your you know slot that you had for him. Morgan Riley, you know, we talked even as recently as uh, on the Monday show, maybe if you'd have gotten that deal done before the draft, 
you know, maybe it's a little cheaper, but then all these defensemen come out this summer, all of them end up getting nine, nine and a half, and it pulls Morgan Riley's price tag up with it. He ends up taking a bit of a discount because he wants to stay, but that number ends up being higher than, than maybe it had to be. So it makes sense to me with Jack Campbell, if they've decided that they believe in him and he's the guy that you would try and get this done quickly. I don't know who Campbell's agent is, but I'm sure he's smart enough to realize that that's exactly why they're doing this too. And he may say to Campbell, you know, bet on yourself, right? If you believe that you can keep this pace up all season, just wait and, uh, and see what happens because maybe you end up getting that four or $5 million contract, whether it be from Toronto, I can't see how it would be because of the other cap restraints Toronto is going to have, but maybe somebody's willing to give him that. And, uh, at that point, it'd be hard to fault him for, for wanting to bet on himself and, and see if he can get paid. Now, someone asked him after Tuesday night's game, another shutout, uh, a four, nothing win over the horribly injured and depleted Vegas golden Knights, uh, Leafs played a pretty good game, pretty dominant game. But like I said, there wasn't much left on that Vegas roster. Uh, somebody asked Jack Campbell if those reports were true. And he said, yeah, the negotiations have begun and I would love nothing more than to stay here. Now I believe him. He said he likes the way this group has welcomed him in. He's happy here. He loves the way the fans treat him. Um, they've got that soup chant going, which I, I hate. Um, it's not a, a him thing. Good enough when it was Lou, right? Roberto Luongo, that's where it all started. Lou, and you're like, all right, I get it. It's for, And then basically anyone who has an ooh sound effect in their name anywhere after that starts getting it. So two Karask is a, like, uh, they just bug me. I don't like it. It became annoying uh, to me. And now it's Jack Campbell and it's not even in his name. It's the soup nickname. So everybody's yelling soup and I, he seems to like it. So good enough. I'm a curmudgeon. I guess I hate it. I, and it would make me a hypocrite not to because I've mentioned it on the show a hundred times in other places that it seems like they're trying to pigeonhole it into a bunch of different names or places. And I hated that. Um, Zub is the other one here in Ottawa now. Zub like just enough, please. At least his fits, at least it's part of his name. Uh, but I don't like it. Anyway, he says he likes the way the fans have, have welcomed him in and stuff. I believe him when he says he probably wants to stay. Toronto took a shot at him, like took a gamble on him when nobody else really was, uh, believed he could be better than what LA thought he was. I don't think they expected this. I could be wrong, but I doubt they saw a future starter uh, when they traded for him. Maybe they did. Um, But he's going to sort of have to do, if he wants to stay, what Morgan Riley did, and that's take you know, probably at least a half million or a million less than he could get somewhere else. Um, and even then you're probably going to have to trade Mrazek and maybe you can, like, that's not a terrible contract, but you're going to have to find somebody else cheaper to bring in. Right. Um, they are up against it and they're not going to be able to afford to give Jack Campbell 4 million bucks a year. If you see that come down this year, sometime between, you know, now and the trade deadline, Understand that it probably means Peter Morazic is not back next year. They cannot have uh, Peter Morazic and his 3.3 or 3.5, whatever it is, plus Jack Campbell at four something that just will not work. So if you see Jack Campbell coming back, making anything more than like 3.5, understand there's a deal coming. Somebody's getting traded, probably Peter Morazic for a cheaper uh, you know, maybe that works, right? At that point, maybe you believe now that Jack Campbell is a starter and you don't need the safety net of Peter Morazic to be his uh, tandem guy. So you can afford to trade him away. The, you almost had to do Morazic this year or get somebody this year because you weren't yet quite sure what you were going to get from Jack Campbell. If you've decided Jack Campbell is your starter and you're going to give him starter money, you probably trade Morazic for a a cheaper goalie to back up and be a straight backup to Jack Campbell, right? Would be my expectation. And really what the Leafs need to have happen is for a young goalie in the organization to finally make it. They have not had an impact starter that they developed through their, you know, uh, minor league system, excuse me, that they drafted and developed through their minor league system in years. Maybe Felix Potvin would be the last one. You know, you think of Cujo and Belfour, both made their names somewhere else, ended up in Toronto. 
Raycroft was traded for, Toscolo was traded for, the Monster was signed out of Europe. Uh, I'm trying to... Reimer? Reimer was one of their own guys, but they never really believed in him as a starter. But maybe Reimer is the more, you know, recent example that you could count. But otherwise, it's been all goalies from outside the system. Freddie, they traded for from, uh, from Anaheim. So Bernier out of LA. They really need, I was going to say Ian Scott, he missed a pile of time and then got hurt again in the, the preseason. Uh, Wall, Joseph Wall, I don't know, not sold there, maybe with a little more time, but it doesn't look like he's going to be NHL material. They need, they got a kid out of Russia they drafted a year or two ago, uh, whose name escapes me right at the moment. He looks like, you know, maybe again, like it's just a maybe, right? But what they need is what a lot of teams need. Your backup, ideally, for a little while, is a kid who has paid his dues in the minors and comes up to back up and learn from your starter, making league minimum money because he's on an entry-level deal, and then when he's ready to take over, you'd punt the other guy ahead of him out the door. The Leafs haven't had that in a very long time, so you're having to go out and either trade assets to get a backup goalie or overpay in the free agent market to get somebody to come and be a backup. You need to have something coming up through your own system, and the Leafs just have not had that in a very, very, very long time. That would solve a ton of their issues here, but it's not on the horizon right at the moment. I guess we'll start to wind this one down here. Just thought, like I said, we would touch base, do a quick kind of show um, that like we'd normally been putting out on Thursdays and, uh, hope you stuck around and, and enjoyed this one, even though I was riding solo on it. Should also mention, uh, I will be on the Dines sports podcast. We'll share the links on our social media places when it comes out. Uh, they've asked me to come on and speak about UFC 268. Uh, so that interview I'm doing on Thursday night. So I assume the show will come out on Friday. Uh, I can't say that for sure. They'll, uh, they'll let me know after, uh, after we speak, but when it comes out, I will share it. Uh, good local guys, though, talking sports as well. I've uh, been on there once before to talk about the Leafs, and they've circled back to ask me to talk about this weekend's UFC card. Uh, if you want to hear us go in-depth on it here, though, like I said, on Friday morning, Steve Bunda and Graham Creech will be back. Uh, they were here last Friday to talk UFC 267, um, and uh, they've been on a bunch of times before, but it's always been remotely. Uh, it was great to have them in studio, and the, you'll have the uh, the studio sound again this time, so that'll be great. Um, and we will do our own TCA deep dive on uh, UFC 268. It's going to be a great card. Um, you know, that main event between Colby Covington and Kamaru Usman is going to be fantastic. Usman is, man, maybe the best pound for pound fighter in the in the world right now. Um, we'll get into all that on uh, on our UFC 268 preview show. That'll be episode 900 with Graham Creech and Steve Bunda. Like I said, dropping Friday morning right here, wherever you're listening right now. So make sure you've hit follow or subscribe. And uh, check us out on social media. Give us a follow there. We're on Twitter and Instagram again. Yay, at TallCanAudio, Facebook.com slash TallCanAudio. Rob will be back on the show on Sunday in time for your uh, for your Monday morning. Uh, we believe it will be in studio, assuming I'm on the mend and uh, this place has been decontaminated. Uh, but if not, we'll just do it remotely again. So stay tuned for that as well. Until then, my name is Matt Robinson. Thank you for checking out episode 899 of the Tall Can Audio Podcast, and we will see you all next time. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun, but now the time has come to go. If this silkong was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Ugh.